Hello, welcome to episode 23 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray manning the controls as we once again pull back the curtain and peek into just what it is that makes this game so great and so interesting. Today, we're going to wander into the world of controversy and golf courses when we chat with Golf Australia magazine editor Brendan James about his publication's latest ranking of the nation's 100 best courses, an issue that always gets people talking and always generates debate. Before we get into that, though, don't forget Good Good is part of the Talk and Golf Network of shows. It's brought to you courtesy of the support of our network sponsor, thegolfsociety.com.au. Check out some of our other excellent podcasts at www.talkandgolf.com. Just the one G in Talk and Golf. Stop sneering over there, Logue. Mm-hmm. And while you're listening, take a wander around the Golf Society website and take advantage of a listener discount at thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash Talk and Golf. Just the one G in Talk and Golf. If fashionable and high-end golf apparel is your go, then the Golf Society is your go-to. Huh? The you Golf like Society. That? I wrote that this morning. Love your work. That's your go. That's your go-to. Travis Matthew, Ralph Lauren, Peter Miller, G4 and Adidas Shoes. You want to look good, look no further than thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash Talk and Golf. Link in the show notes as always. Enough of me. Let's get to today's topic and the golf nuts who will be discussing it. Before we meet Golf Australia Magazine editor Brendan James, let me introduce my regular co-host, Adrian Logue, whose brilliant deconstruction of the players' logo last week was one of the highlights in an otherwise fairly bleak seven days, it's got to be said. We might chat about that at some point, Logue. But for the meantime, welcome. Where can people find you? Um, people can find me at adrianlogue.com, right, or at adrianlogue on Twitter, or at adrianlogue on Instagram. I just dominate the Adrian Logue. In the digital space, there's handles. only one Adrian Logue. You can yep. probably make a sign out of that. Uh, good, welcome. Good to have you along. We will chat about that player's uh, logo thing because I thought it was brilliant. Joining us in studio, thanks to the fact that the magazine's head office is just across the road from the sprawling Sydney Podcast Studios complex here. Studio One. Studio One, mm-hmm. talking off Central Studio One. It's Golf Australia editor Brendan James BJ. Welcome for, I think, the second time in the studio. I've been to the studio once before, but uh, not for the good, good golf podcast. Oh, not to well, be welcome to the flagship. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel kind of like I'm uh, on holy ground. You kind of are on holy ground, which is why it's kind of smoking under your feet, but uh, lots to talk about. Good fun to come. Now, just before we start, for the first purposes of transparency... Uh, I write a weekly column for you over at Golf Australia for the website, which I'm sure everybody reads. It's fantastic mm-hmm. stuff, although I know you didn't read it this morning, Logue, because you just told I'm me. Cramming, I'm cramming it now. I get paid for that. I host the Thing About Golf podcast for the magazine, which I really enjoy doing. In fact, it's it's my favourite thing to do, my favourite show that I do, podcast that I do, which is- Very uh, good work uh, you're doing. Going along quite well, isn't it? I think the Thing About Golf as well. It's going on and, uh, far and above expectation from when we started back in May. Fantastic. So that's uh, that comes out every two weeks. We've got uh, John Paramore, I think, is running at the moment. So go and have a listen to that. The Thing About Golf, if you just Google that, you'll find it. And I do occasionally con- contribute to the print publication. I don't do any of those things for free. So I have strong ties to the magazine, which is important uh, that we establish that first. For the purposes of this discussion, though, I don't have anything to do with the top 100 list compilation, which is as it should be, because I'm not really one that gets around and plays a lot of golf. Although my learned colleague, Logue, here is... On the panel, I've got to say, I think you've been a fantastic addition uh, with the, well, two fantastic additions. Good to have you on there, but adding all the comments and whatnot from the contributors, there's some real gold in there, I think. Pete. There is some absolute yep. gold, and when Adrian did send through his comments and I opened that attachment, I was <laughs> I was drawn to it and kept reading it, and right through to the end, it was uh, outstanding stuff, and there was not one word on paths. 
<laughs> which was no doubt uh, an absolute joy for you. The thing about it is because he's not working media, BJ, as he'll tell you if you spend a bit of time mm-hmm. with him, he gets to craft every I can word. say whatever I want. He really just he, he really can, spends I the time. I can see him pouring over every word like Bernard Darwin. <laughs> Did you read his uh, player's logo dissertation last week? I haven't had time. Oh, We've oh, had a, had a few wounded. coronavirus <laughs> issues going on, and so there's uh, yeah, time has been precious of late. We're not going to talk. I will get to it. We're not going to talk much about the coronavirus, although no doubt it'll inject itself into the conversation somewhere. But I must say, with a background sort of in publishing as we have, it was fantastic. <laughs> Broke down the logo by font, by colour code, <laughs> and what those things were. I mean, it was. Uh, where'd you get the idea for that logo? That is really off the wall sort of stuff. We've all criticised the players for years, but no one's done it in such a beautifully cutting way. <laughs> uh, well, I, I did want it to be sort of a semi-serious critique of their brand. Which it actually is. As well. Yeah. well they so, made- I wanted it to be an informative critique of their brand. And that's something that's done all the time whenever a new logo is launched or something in the design world. Um, you'll get there would have been meetings of- and very oh, absolutely. highly yeah. paid people to come up with those specific colours and those specific fonts. All of that would have been... Mm-hmm. As, as I was getting into it, I was trying to... Imagine myself in those meetings and have, been in those have the. Meetings? I've been in many of those sorts yeah. of meetings. What's that like? It's <laughs> brutal. <laughs> it can be yeah, a little bit soul sucking. Would, would you be breaking down the Masters logo? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I had started preparing the breakdown of the there. Masters logo on the back of that article, but um, I'll, I'll have to postpone that now. You've I had requests, haven't you? Yeah, yeah I did Masters, and I'm examining the the Open logo as well. I, I will say in advance, the R and A and the Open. Branding is superb. They've on point. It's on absolutely. Brand. Could the USGA learn something from the the USGA haven't, haven't done a close look at the USGA, but I will be looking at that from one to oh, from many to one uh, slogan Which, that they've got. With it's it's done in a hand drawn script and it's uh, it's got some interesting visuals about it. So I'm sort of reserving that one. I really want to have a deep dive on that as well. Now we joke about this stuff, but you know this as well, BJ. It's it's genuinely important, isn't it? Big brands spend huge amounts of money to get this stuff right. The masthead of the magazine at Golf Australia wouldn't have happened by accident. There would have been an awful lot of graphic design. Well, I can drag you up the track. I can honestly say to you that um, back in the day when the masthead was designed. 1980s? Late uh, 80s? Well, no, the, the, the current one we've had uh, going now for 27 years. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been many attempts since to alter it. Um, it's difficult when you've got uh, G below the line, uh-huh. F above it's the line. It's a nightmare for the cover, it's isn't a, it? It's Every a nightmare. <laughs> it's a nightmare. And if you want to include the word Australia it's as the second word, it's, it's quite difficult. Um, but basically, it's a bastard font that we've got as <laughs> the, the masthead and the, the, the uh, graphic designer who put it together basically just tweaked what was a, a, a open type font mm-hmm. and just made it all fat. Right. Yeah. And that was the... Yeah. Looks like the true. X height's been uh, stretched yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I think it might have taken him all of 23 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, which has probably got a better result than the players got for Lord knows how much time they must have the put in. The players logo it. is actually quite good. It's actually a very yeah. good logo. And it you is. can see how they've woven in all that gold theme and imagery into everything they've done and uh, it's it's also a nice riff on the PGA Tour branding as well. But isn't the point that the player's logo is actually trying to put itself a station above where it belongs? That's oh the yeah, absolutely. Point. That's and the so, whole point. So it's a fantastic yeah. effort. That's the whole point. Attached to an event 
that doesn't deserve the stature that the people who own it think it does. And so that's why it doesn't work. Whereas, as you say, the RNA one looking pretty good and a 23-minute effort on a Golf Australia magazine it makes it completely recognisable. You can't miss it in a newsstand, which is what a logo has to do, is to stand out so people recognise it. Like music with a podcast. You know, you, you know which podcast you're listening to by the opening music. It becomes very much associated, which is what those things are about. So anyway, you'll enjoy reading it, Beej. It was a fantastic deconstruction. Not what we came together to talk about. Do we want to quickly get the coronavirus out of the way? Beej, you... Leaving aside golf for a moment, any reaction in your office about coronavirus? I've had people cancelling bookings here at the studio. Well, yeah, uh, I guess the big thing is that uh, we, like most companies, are looking at you know um, tightening the purse strings because we just don't know what's 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 happening down the track. I, I guess it's a day to day kind of thing at the moment. Governments are making decisions uh, which influence more and more people. Um, I guess, um, you know, we're finding that, you know, even some of the multinational companies that we deal with, um, they've been instructed from the states that their spend is, you know, to, to cease for the immediate future, um, simply because they're unsure of being able to supply, uh, say, for example, uh, it's an, equi- an equipment company, whether they'll be able to supply stock whether it comes from China or from the United States. So they don't want to be advertising something that they can't provide. So um, uh, obviously that affects us, but we've got fairly loyal customers. and It's not in their interest for the MAG to go out of business because at some point business is going to come back. So that's a Look, the, mag, the, the way the magazine's set up is that obviously we're going to have people that are booked in and, and they're maintaining their presence in the magazine, but there are some that, you know, come in sort of few weeks before deadline that, no, we can't do it because we're and, – and for ourselves, you know, we've got to look at, you know, we, we run a lot of features where we have to go and travel around the country and compile them. Do we do that or we do, it, do we do it from the office? My opinion is, um, you know, I'm quite happy to whack on a mask and some goggles and get on a plane and go and do it because – in fairness, those, look, pe- you those carry people. Off. Not everybody can, but you can carry that off. I could carry off because it it cover my ugly melon. Um, but to go out and and do those stories simply because, apart from the coronavirus, we've had a lot of a lot of golf clubs in this country have suffered through bushfires and drought and things like that. And look, anything we can do to get their story out there, we're quite happy to do. And if it means getting on a plane dressed in Head to toe, head to toe, covering them. We'll do it. We'll keep an eye on your Instagram. For Galvin Green might have a nice. Yeah, that's right. Or yeah, yeah, Travis Matthew or Peter or something like that. Head to the golf society. forward slash talking golf. You'll get a twenty five dollar discount on your first. They make it in four XL on there. Indeed, it's funny, isn't it, Adrian? I'm reminded during this whole crisis, which is a legitimate crisis for the world. I think it was Hogan who said it, and it, it struck me during the bushfires as well. It's not the hook, it's the fear of the hook. Mm. The real drama with this virus is the fear of what might happen as opposed to what's actually happening at any given time. Yeah, and, and there's all this thinking about whatever you're doing now, in hindsight, it won't seem like it was enough, even though right now it seems like it's too, too much. much. Um, We've got plenty of commentators saying that, haven't we? But then is- at the same time, in certain areas, it is going to be too much, like the economic impact of this, of what we're doing to accommodate the health impact of it, which is very important and should take precedence. But the economic cost of that is going to be colossal. And the number of companies you're going to start seeing fall like dominoes over the next few weeks is terrifying. You might have the airline industry collapse. 
Uh, well, well, you, we know the government won't allow that to happen. The government because it's a it's a vital infrastructure. It'd be like letting the telephone system collapse. In, They're not going to do it. Indeed, but if you know governments do have limited money and so don't panic, people. But yeah, no, no. <laughs> but it's interesting how it's evolved. Like you mean, I mean, two weeks ago, we could have been sitting here talking about the Masters. Yeah. Yeah. And it's gone. The players' it's, championship it's gone. Still, I mean, every tour around the world has come to a standstill. There's so, still a surreal element to it, don't you think? I mean, I don't think I've yet grasped the fact that there's no golf at all for the next four weeks at least, and let's be completely serious. It seems unlikely that I don't think we'll have any of the majors this year, and I think we'd be lucky to see a Ryder Cup. Well, the particularly the way they've squeezed it into a few months, yeah. I mean, scheduling's going to be a nightmare. If, uh, if, if the... If the PGA was still being played in August, then you might you might have a slim chance of it happening. I did see some talk of trying to organise. You might make it say October and try and run all four majors back to back weeks to try and get them in. Something like that's not necessarily off the table. We've never encountered anything like this before. I think. Well, Disneyland closed last week for the fourth time in history. Mm. World War Two, the Kennedy assassination, San Francisco earthquake. And this, they're the four things that have closed it. That's some pretty elite company in terms of mm. sort of uh, disasters and catastrophes. Well, the, I think the thing that particularly people of our generation is we've never had to deal with, I mean, you talk to any any 70 or 80-year-old person who lived through the World War Two, and, I mean, even though they're only kids, no, they, they'll that. tell you stories about how, and even anyone living in the UK um, during uh, the even the early fifties with food rationing and things like that. So it's new to us, um, and it's kind of a bit of a shock to the system. So that great uh, meme on Twitter—not a meme. It's a, I think it's a GIF. You know, our, our grandfet, grandparents were asked to ration food and hide from falling bombs. We're being asked to stay inside and sit on the couch. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Uh, with Put every device possible. Exactly. Every, Put yeah. some perspective yeah. on it. I'd, I'd read quite a lot of post-apocalyptic fiction, uh-huh. so I, I felt like I was you know, quite prepared for these uh, what about these times. Do you have a bunker at home? No, I don't. But um, I realised on a trip to Woolies the other day that I'm completely unprepared. unprepared. Of <laughs> just, and there must be just tens of thousands of people who are way ahead of me Well, all of their the, planning the because sense, I'm the, the last person to get. It's the world we live in, isn't it? I mean, uh, uh, you and I both know young Justin now works at Golf Australia, worked with us at Golf Link for a while. Wasn't surprised. I'm not pretending he was surprised. But I said something about a landline telephone one day and he sort of furrowed his brow. It's just not a world he's lived in that, that has landline telephones as kind of an option in the house. He had one. But it never used it. It was just something oh, okay. that sat in the corner. You know, it, 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 it's a whole different world for a whole bunch of it's people. It's the fright he'd get if it if rang. No, yeah, that's right. If <laughs> no, should bring it one day. There's no Uber Eats or Deliveroo or all of those things that we take for granted that just, you know, that people go, oh, I can stay inside. I'll just order Uber. Well, what happens if Uber Eats gets closed down or lots of – anyway, enough of all of that sort of stuff. What have we had? We've had fire, flood, pestilence. We just need plague. Mm-hmm. And we're there. Oh, there was a locust plate. I oh, was saw it? something in the Oh, news. we got yeah, the set. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the end times. <laughs> Enough about that. We didn't want to talk about it, but uh, it's the elephant in the room, which we can't. Let's get back to the top 100 list. Well, just on that before we go, are you hearing anything in terms of golf clubs, courses, closures, changes? I know they have in the States. I've not heard anything locally here in Australia. I wonder whether that might be next. Clubhouses getting closed, but not necessarily the golf course. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I've heard, is that uh, a lot of functions have been cancelled, which the flow and effect of that 
we may not see for a little while in terms of, you know, clubs, you know, forced to close. Um, but, yeah, uh, clubhouses closing, but uh, most, if not all, uh, clubs are still running their their, their comps during the week. And, and I went looking when I wrote that column the other day. I couldn't see anything in Australia. There's certainly been closed closures of public courses in the States in mm-hmm. various areas, but nothing that I could find in Australia. And They're hurting. You got. To, I have to say that they're hurting. I mean, oh, particularly some clubs that are, you know, now probably going into their third or fourth, maybe fifth month of some sort of uh, outside influence affecting their revenue streams. Um, how they can sustain, you know, uh, or keep their head above water? Because um, costs tell. don't change. That's the problem. Exactly. Of course, it's the problem for golf clubs. It's very difficult to. I mean, the cost of the maintenance of the course is a constant. If you start to cut it, yeah. you cut into the other side of the equation, which is people don't want to come and play it. So I guess from my side of things, like, for example, we'll be bringing out our top 100 public access course ranking next January, and I'll be addressing the issue of uh, course conditioning with our judges. And to take that – I already asked them to take that into account – if there's been a drought or flood or or some sort of natural Push occurrence yeah. that that affects the conditioning and, and is out of the hands of the golf course, um, but I'll be I'll be sort of addressing that issue with our judges for that ranking simply because I don't think and, and I'll give you an example here. Um, Naruma Golf Club is an outstanding golf course. Now. If, if they have to trim costs and they can't spend as much money on maintaining that golf course, it's still going to be a spectacular golf course. And if it's got dry fairways and uh, yeah, it's not quite up to the conditioning measure that you might expect from a top 100 course, well, you have to take that into account because um, the golf is still fun and it's still enjoyable and still challenging. But... You know, if if it's not the right colour, well, I think that's rubbish. It's been one of the one of modern golf's great problems, hasn't it? Is the weight that people put on the condition of golf courses versus the actual quality of the golf? So, for example, if Royal Melbourne looks ordinary, a lot of people will judge and say, "Well, it's an ordinary golf course," and that is well, clear. it, it's not it true. actually it actually uh, our rival Australian Golf Digest. Is the only time in the history of course rankings in this country where a ranking has not had Royal Melbourne West at the top of the tree was was Digest dropped it down to number two based on the fact that it was dry and it was drought affected. There's an education element required here, isn't there, Adrian? Because this is actually important for golf and is going to be more important going forward as much as we hate the term, is that conditioning gets far too much attention from golfers and golf courses, golf facilities, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's it's irresponsible as well when in a world where water is going to be looked upon as an incredibly important commodity in the in the next couple of decades. If you're looking over the fence at a private golf course, which is just wall to wall green, and with irrigation throwing water yeah. into the rough sprinklers all over, and, and you know, oh, we we need some grass there because there's a bare patch where there's too much shade because of our trees or something, and so oh, let's irrigate that. You know, uh, if if that's the attitude that golf clubs are taking into the next twenty years, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. They're going to have the pressure of a society 
um, examining. It will come from outside. If golf doesn't do something about it itself, it will come from outside. And and I, I feel like it's, it's something that the governing body could be could Very be doing much. a lot more work in is setting expectations with clubs that you know why don't you just do less? Like take out a line of irrigation, just have a single row if you want. Look after your greens, of course. You've got to you know there's a big investment. You've got to look after your greens. But what's wrong with brown fairways? Um, if you you know don't go investing in new lines of irrigation or something like that, just just let it let let your fairways get a bit brown and firm. It was stark at the Australian Open, wasn't it? At the Australian Golf Club last year, which was presented immaculately, could be the only word I I yeah. can't recall, apart from perhaps once at Metropolitan, a course in such amazing condition during a drought with bushfire ash yeah. raining down on the yeah. golf course during the tournament. Yeah, and a lot of golfers, there's a disconnect. It's not a they just don't seem to make the connection that the state's burning around us. People are looking at this on television and saying, "Really, that's right." And it's only because well they've got they've got the funds to be able to do that. They might have also secured a water supply. Hmm. And I'm not saying they're doing anything on wrong. Clubs doing they, yeah, committees and clubs look, should be it? trying to secure a water supply. But then they've got to be setting themselves up to use it responsibly. Yeah, we're part of a bigger community, and golf maybe maybe that's the lesson golf needs to realize. I think we'll just to get to your point about irrigation lines, I, I was at a course last week, um, and I asked the general manager. I won't name the course for. In this situation, but I spoke to the general manager about you know what have you done since the last time I was here? You know, last eighteen months, twelve months. Uh, We've extended the irrigation lines to uh, getting closer to some of the fairway bunkers, so it's easy to grow the grass up the faces of the bunkers because they weren't getting enough water. And then I went out in the golf course and and. Basically, you got a situation where you had bunkers surrounded by long, lush grass. So there was never ever going to be a ball roll into any of those fairway traps. Clates was here; he'd be having it's a, a terrible look, really it's an awful it's, look. It's inscrutable as well it's, why that is yeah. a desired outcome. Why, Just fill why in the bunker if you don't want people to come So we're talking. We're talking about on top of that steep face bunkers. Yeah, that, bunkers are that, that, that basically they're quite deep, and so we they're looking for that sort of uh, two f- two feet of, of growth between the very top and the, the edge of the sand where they want a complete cover of grass. Which you then have to fly mow, if I'm not mistaken. Is that you how they cut that? Mow, they yeah. have to fly mow with the electric. Yeah. Uh- yeah. But the, what what it's done is that they've, they've also created this growth area around the bunkers. Um, and so it looks like the cutting lines have come in. So those bunkers are going further and further into the rough Um, and that's just to me and and the other thing is the use of wedding agents in the rough um, to me it's just wasted money I mean you look at any of the world's best golf courses so this is I mean even Augusta National for the all the money that they spend to cultivate a playing surface that is unattainable anywhere else in the world for all that money they spend they still don't fertilize in and around the trees and and do all of that it's just left mm-hmm. you know up until the a few years ago they, they really didn't they really didn't have any rough at all up until you know 10 or 15 years ago so you know i can't understand courses going down that road where they're trying to encourage rough i mean if clates was here he would he would quote quote Claude Crockford, who was the the legendary course super at Royal Melbourne, 
who said you, basically his job was to stop grass growing, not yeah. encourage it. Yeah. And Crenshaw pointed that out too, the difference between golf and Australia and America is we That's keep trying exactly to grow right. grass, they're yeah. trying to stop it. Exactly so. right. The one that stands out for me is a course like Metropolitan, which is widely acknowledged as being the best playing surfaces in Australia, and yet it when a run is, it runs out of fairway, it just crumbles out it just into sand. Out, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. Where it's the grass stops, it yeah. stops, and they don't. No they're not trying to grow line. grass in the rough. Yeah. It's, there's barely any rough at all there. Actually, it just yeah. it just breaks up into into sand, which, which is something you can do with that beautiful. Uh, and the, and land this discussion the, it came out on social media. I think maybe. 10 days ago about Bonnie Doon here in Sydney where someone dropped a ball in the rough at Bonnie Doon, which has, has been designed to be played more of a link-style golf mm-hmm. course. It's a windy site, sandy um, and, and the ball just disappeared into this lush growth. and, and Which is not a foot and a half high, by the way. To the eye, it looks a couple of inches high. It's enough to cover a golf ball where you can't get a golf club on. Cooch is diabolical. It's horrendous. When it's stuff. Like when it's it's exactly and short. in the in the to and fro on social media, it eventually came out that um, yeah, okay, we'd had some rain, um, and they weren't able to cut. But it then came out that they had applied wetting agent to make it to encourage growth. Uh, why? I mean, it's beautiful, sandy. I mean, they could have the same situation that Metro have got, where you you. You know, where the fairway ends and you run into sand. I mean, it's... New South Wales is a little bit the same for me. It's a little bit overgrassed, I think, going out into the rough. As, a lot of uh, courses are. Yeah. A lot of courses are. It's, a, it's an aesthetic as much as anything, isn't it? And you've now got a large portion of the golf public demand it. This, will, this plays nicely into the top 100 list. Wireless, what's the job of the top 100 list, BJ? We've had this discussion before. I'm not a list guy. Part of the reason I'm not part of it. I'm not big into it. However... I think they're fantastic, or the list is fantastic every year, because one of the things it does do is promote discussion about golf courses, which we don't have enough of in golf. Yeah, that's right. I think the 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 answer to that is that any editor of any publication will tell you that any kind of list... Mm. They sell. It sells because it does. People are interested. Yep. Uh, not just the people who are buying the magazine to, to read it for the content, but also... The clubs involved, they some more than others. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some some clubs where the general managers are, are ringing up, you know, three or four months before. Can we get you out? Get the group out, um, which we don't encourage at Golf Australia because you tend to find that you um, will turn up and everything is manicured within an inch. You know, it's it's like turning up to Augusta and going, "Well, wow, what have you left? Left no stone unturned." Um, I mean, a lot of our judges visit courses. Either they arrange to go and play, or they might go and play in a golf day, and they're not really known that they're judges, and they Some, see what everyone else see, yep. which is which is good. Um, the the top one hundred, it does, and it's funny because yeah, the magazine comes out, and people buy it and look at the list, but when our list goes up online. It gets greater. <laughs> the fun begins. The fun begins, and and it it gets wider coverage over a complete two year period. There were people still reading our um, twenty eighteen list right up until our twenty twenty list came out. So people are interested by it. Um, clubs also like the feedback because we we publish our list with comments from judges. Uh, when did you start doing that, by the way? 
It was a reasonably so recent we've done we we've published comments with each of our uh, courses for the last six years. Okay. So 2020, 2018, 2016. Prior to that, there would have been uh, a small um, summation about the golf course and then a sole comment, but now it's all purely comment and feedback from the judges. Um, and the clubs like that. And, and quite a few get in touch and say, do you have anything more? Is there anything more? Oh, okay, is there get? more feedback you can send us that you haven't published? Yeah. Right. So, um, for example, um, I had uh, Magenta Shores after our 2018 list came out. Magenta Shores um, saw their ranking and whilst they were happy with the ranking, they wanted to know what they could do to to go up the ranking. Uh-huh. And so we, I provided them uh, some of the comments that we got from judges as well as w- some observations that I'd made. Um, and then the next time I visited, they put some of those things in place. So, and hence they went up in the ranking. The not fun part for you, I imagine, is what to publish and what not to publish. That's the responsibility of the editor. So you would get all sorts of comments from all of the judges. You can't publish all of them, can you? <laughs> There's got to be some. Well, a lot mine, of it, mine are automatic. I guess. Well, clearly that's going. But yeah, well, that's that right. aside. Hey, yeah. yeah. copy paste. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> it's it's. Gold from yeah, you, yeah, absolutely the gold. Yeah. Um, the gold logie. <laughs> so I've got to be mindful of space. Uh-huh. So as I as as I compile it, so the comments for, for example, the number ninety nine course mm-hmm. are going to be a little bit more concise, a little bit more straight to the point than they will be for the courses that are in the top 10. Royal Melbourne West inspires flowery language and people want to go on with their thoughts about it. The other thing is that uh, debut courses, mm-hmm. courses that haven't made the ranking before, they've obviously got a story to tell in terms of what, why do they make the ranking this time? Yeah. Um, courses that have a bit of a fall. Why have they why, fallen? Why have they fallen? So, Which, to be fair, is not always because something's happened at the course to make it worse. That's right. It's the entry of others that have pushed it above. For everyone above, everything has to move down one. That's exactly right. And, you know, we look at uh, case in point being the Australian. And the Australian came in at 40. Um, But it was really – it was a victim of other courses doing better Mm -hmm. and coming in or being redesigned and, and going up. But it was also a victim of our judges felt the design, and I could probably talk about the criteria here. Our judges, it's heavily weighted towards design, um, so they felt that despite the fact that the Australian is a very well conditioned, has got very well conditioned playing surfaces, they felt the design and some aspects around, say for example, the the um, the wood chip that's used in a lot of areas. Influence has too much of an influence on play. You know, if you land in that wood chip, it's a lottery as to how it's going to come out, Isn't which is completely different to, to the area. That wood chip, I thought it's, well, this is it was well, uh, I'm established. Sure, uh, I'm sure hundreds of years ago, you, probably you'd trees find that, that cut chip. down. Yeah. Oh, oh, really? That oh. they've created into okay. into wood chip. It was native, uh, native to that area. So it's an interesting example, the Australian, isn't it? Because for the golf watching public, it is a fantastic tournament venue. When the Australian Open goes there, it fits 
and it works because the the venue is fantastic. And for a professional golf tournament, we know historically the course is one of the last considerations, or the quality of the course is one of the last considerations. If but you that's put a up a check, championship course, if, yeah, exactly. It's a difficult golf course. They can make it long and difficult and a test, although it doesn't stand up the way it used to with modern technology. We saw this. The first is driver wedge for oh, it's, most it's of those crazy. That, the bunker on the right. And that's a and that's a par five for members. Players yeah. were carrying that that yeah. bunker on the right there. Adam Scott hit it past the crosswalk. Yeah. <laughs> that hole, which the is, scheme of bunkers on the right that's in the rough. In the rough. That's yeah. basically, well, it, it's, it's an just aerial. It's aiming point. It's an aerial hazard, really. You carry yeah. it. So that's an example of the sort of difference. So I suppose that does bring us neatly to, okay, first things first. Maybe we should run through the top 10 courses. I don't think they'll surprise anybody. Then we might talk about some of the criteria used. I want to get some of Logue's thoughts about uh, how, as a panellist, things play out. But tell us the top 10 and how you arrive at that, so that criteria and how you do all the, the judging and the voting and all that sort of stuff. Okay, well, our our voting period runs over two years. So for the this latest uh, list the twenty for twenty twenty published in January, um, work would have started on that immediately after uh, our twenty eighteen list was was published. Um, so what that involves is bringing the judges together and I while keeping a core. Of the group, so we've got uh, we had thirty five judges this year. Um, the core of that group um, was probably around twenty five that have been doing it with us for a couple of years. Um, but I like to shuffle in and out different people that either have been in touch with us, and I've kind of almost interviewed them like they were coming yeah. to work at Golf for, Australia as a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, with I guess the, the primary concern there being that they're going to see enough golf courses. That's paramount. What's um, the minimum number of courses that a panel well, has to see? Well, over a two-year rolling period, I'd, I'd ideally like to have our judges see at least 50 courses. Um, Do they, ideally, I guess you'd want them going as much interstate from wherever they live as possible so you get a… Yeah, so because particularly in that core group, there's quite a few few of them that know each other, and they'll actually go on trips to go and play for the specific and, purposes of looking for the purposes yeah. of rating. Yeah, yeah. they want to so, see it. So yeah, so and we've got uh, judges in every state, mm-hmm. uh, except northern. Well, at Northern Territory, we don't have a judge out of there at this point. Um, a cross section of men and women, because women do see golf courses differently to men because they're playing from a different part of the golf course. And some golf courses, sadly, even in this day and age, don't set up well for women. Mm-hmm. So we like to get their opinion as well. Um, so over that two-year two period, um, a lot of judges will give me feedback about certain courses they've gone to see in that period. I encourage them to make notes so that when it comes down to actually working out their list, um, they, they're, right all, they're all over the top of it. Um, and the, the basic criteria is that, and this is only a working guide for our judges, is that 60% of what they consider um, when they're working at their list is, is based on design. Then 20% conditioning and 20% of the aesthetics. So, the, the you know, how the course sits in its, in its surrounding environment, um, things like that. The genus Loki. Oh, the the Garrett Morrison podcast mm-hmm. the other week, the Friday yeah. one, yeah, which was fantastic, by mm-hmm. the way. I've got to have a listen to that. So, um, 
and again, what getting back to what we were talking about before, when they're, they're looking at conditioning, you know, they've got to take into account, you know, one, the time of year. So if you're going to go to the sand belt in June, mm-hmm. expect to find that it's going to be winter golf. Yep. And you can't mark it down because it's winter golf. All right. Um, the same if you, if you go to Barn Boogle in the middle of summer, it's not going to be those, you know, all fescue playing surfaces aren't going to be at their best. So all those sorts of things get taken into account. Using that working guide, they then sit down and work out um, their list so they can submit a list of as many courses as they want. Um, I think Adrian might have got up around the 40, between 40 and 45 that were courses that could be legitimately considered top yeah. 100 and I, I just threw in the others where I had, well. uh, careful I had, your employers might be listening Adrian if they realise how where much I golf had, you actually uh, play one, one judge submitted uh, a list of 106 <laughs> wow <laughs> alright but in saying that probably the bottom 20 of those were never gonna they weren't legitimate top 100 chances they were, he just listed hit yeah. the 106 courses he'd seen over the two year period and ranked them from 1 to 106 oh well and do they do they apply points and do they say Royal Melbourne's a 90 in there or is that you tabulate the votes? that? So what actually happens is that uh, the judges submit their list from one to wherever. Mm-hmm. So it might be, in Adrian's case, one to 45. Uh, num- their number one course gets 100, gets a mark of 100. Okay. And so- They, they a lot to it? No, no. This is you what are, I'm compiling right. it. Yeah. Yep. So if of the 35 judges, 35 vote for Royal Melbourne, then it gets an average score based on the number of judges that voted for it by the number of points it accrues across where it appears on judges' lists. It's pretty easy. Um, But what – and the interesting thing is that um, once you get probably, uh, I don't know, maybe half of the votes in, half the judges having compiled their votes – then you see, get to see lots of movement, particularly uh-huh. from the top 20 through to the yeah. maybe 60, 70 position. The very top echelon, of, that's not where the controversy is, is it? You're, you're shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic from sort of 3 to 10, that, really. That that would have been the case up until maybe two years ago. Oh, okay. Um, but we've seen over the past handful of years, we've seen a lot of those top courses – either take on a consultant architect and they're tweaking different things or they're consulting on setup, which has made those courses better. Mm-hmm. The competition at the at the top end is incredibly intense. So I think probably a decade ago, you would have had Royal Melbourne West a clear, yep. clear number one. Now you've got the likes of Kate Wickham closing in um, where for years Kingston Heath was, you know, one or two one, points. One or two was Royal Melbourne and Kingston Heath, wasn't yeah. it? Always. So now Kate Wickham's closing in. Then you've got Peninsula uh, Kingswood. Kingswood North <clears> has <throat> come in high. You've got Barnboogle still sitting there. You've got Lost Farm in there. So Barwon Heads had a lot of work done. It's returned into the top 20. That's it. So that's the, the, the competition, or it's really narrow. That top 10, you could throw a blanket over them. But they they're kind of they're Move. all going to be in that top yeah. 10 but where they finish in that top 10 is probably the only thing that's going to change over the next dozen years 
So then the the wilder swings, if we can use that term, come, I imagine, that 20 to 50 is probably the golf courses most people get to play. Access to that top 10, not the Bamboogles, but access is somewhat more difficult often for those. There'll be a lot of golfers will never get on Royal Melbourne West, and a lot will never make the trip to Bamboogle Dunes. There might even be one sitting in this room who's never been to Bamboogle Dunes. <laughs> not to point that out <laughs> too strongly, but the people won't see. That sort of 20 to 50 or 20 to 60 are the courses most people will be familiar with and have had a chance to play, I imagine. And there would be lots of movement there, I would assume, amongst the judges. There's... Uh there does tend to be maybe, say, from 20 to 50. Of those 30 courses, there's probably, um, I would think, between five five and eight, which will have dramatic moves, whether it's up or down, mm-hmm. based on what they've done in the last two years. So, for example, Concord here in Sydney, um, dramatic rise based on uh, new design from Tom Doak, um, it was kind of floating between ranking 50 and 60 at one stage, probably in around the 50 mark. It's come right in about 20 spots. Um, Bonnie Doon, the same story after the OCM design, uh, redesign. Um, it found its way into the top 30, um, and it's still hanging in that position. But again, getting back to what you said before, every time courses move up, some move out. And getting back to the Australian so the Australian finished at 40, which was quite controversial. Um, and Particularly the Australian, I'd imagine. <laughs> well, it's funny. From people that I've spoken to, the, the, the redo of the Australian a few years ago was quite a polarising moment in the club. Amongst the members? Amongst, amongst the members. Um, but the loyal Australian members just love it. Yeah, my, my impression of... Of that is the the Australian members have got love the Australian the, the golf course the that, course they, that want. they want. But you ask, I reckon, if you ask, if you took a poll of what they like the most, it, they'll never mention the design first. Mm-hmm. It'll be the locker room. In boys. fact, <laughs> in fact, the, the Australian great facilities in in all of Australian golf, and this is one of the ma- amazing things I have found traveling overseas, particularly to Scotland. If you ask a Scotsman what he th- he just come walked off a golf course and for the having played it for the first time. I said, well, "Jock, what do you like? What did you like about this golf course?" And he, oh, geez, it was a lot of fun. What a great place to play. Great design. In Australia, it's always you know, mate. How how was the course? Oh, it was in great nick. Yeah, beautifully. Pretty. And, Have a bad lie all day. Yeah, and and it's you know, our great friend Clates would say you know. It, played at Metro and he's never ever had a never bad had a lie in 40 years. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. If Clates was here, I'd be doing a lot of editing. <laughs> the discussion it's funny, you know, Bob Harrison is a member at uh, The Australian and he was on the Thing About Golf podcast, I think, two guests ago. Well worth going to have a listen, by the way. And he talked about that very thing. He's, he previously has been a rater at Golf Australia. He had a period where there were a lot of golf course architects were on the, yeah. the panel. And he said every time it came out, the other members would be at him saying, you know, how could you not have put the Australian at number one? You're a member here and everything. And as he said, what does that say about you blokes? <laughs> the, the truth of the course from an architectural point of view is that it is not in the top echelon of designs in Australia, which does not mean it's not a fantastic club or a fantastic place to be a member and a fantastic place to play your golf every week if you like that. But in terms of design, it's not Royal Melbourne. Uh, and that's just the reality of it. And as a member, I'm sure that used to cause him some heartache every couple of years. When the- well, for a long time, because you've got to remember, we we started ranking courses, um, 
let me say, let me see. I'm up in my 24th year. Hang on, that would make us. Oh, that's very old. Yeah. Mm. So, so we've <laughs> been ranking along. forces for 20 years. Um, started out small, 25, 50, and then moved on to 100. So when we were doing top 25, got to remember at that time there was no Barnbuckle Junes. There was yeah. none of those, those courses. The, the, Australian, Australian, the landscape has changed enormously. The Australian was in the top 10, ranked by us in the top 10 in the country. And at that stage, it was the longest course in the country. It had a long history of hosting the Australian Open. Um, and it deserved its place. Okay. In it's that landscape, just impressive as well. It's an impressive. Place. It's an impressive place, absolutely. And, and, and I, look, I remember as a teenager, the first time I got to play there was in a was in a pennant match, and humble remember, brag. yeah, humble brag. Did walk- you steal your mum's car to get there without a license, if I recall, or was that something uh, else? That <laughs> wasn't for that. That was for something else. <laughs> yes. Uh, so um, I remember playing there and thinking, "Wow, this is this is Nirvana. This is awesome." Um, but when you go in the years that have uh, many decades that have passed since, having ventured out and and broadened my golfing horizons, realise that it's not quite uh, what it could be. But certainly, or a wonderful was, golfing matter, experience from the pictures you see from the nineteen forties and nineteen fifties. Yeah, some of that you just a think wonderful area. Why you see yeah. the why the thing? We've we've talked a lot about the Australian, but something that always intrigues me about these lists is new entries tend to get, and I don't know whether it's recency bias, but new entries like your Cape Wickham's or, and this happened for National Mooner as well, tend to shoot right up and then over the next decade they tend to drop back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Is that just solely because new things are coming in or is there a recency bias for new courses that it's are new and shiny? It's human nature. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you think about the kid who gets his toy at Christmas he plays plays with it, plays with it, and plays with it, and by the end of January, it's broken and sitting in the corner. So um, it, it's the same with ranking golf courses. You you get seduced by something new and shiny and, oh, how good's this? Um, the quality of the entry is borne out over time. So um, I'll give you an example. Uh, so Kate Wickham, yeah, okay, Kate Wickham, um, ended our ranking. It's rocketed at, in there, hasn't it? It, well, it, it debuted at what well, number? So it opened officially in October of 2015. Um, in 2016, it was uh, January 2016. So three months after it opened, it was number five in our ranking. So it's straight in there and, and deservedly so. Um, the fact that it's maintained a spot in the top five Ever since, and now is at number two, speaks volumes to the to the quality of the golf course. But there've been other examples along the way where um, I, I'm trying to think of one. Okay, here's one: uh, Stonecutters Ridge here in Sydney. Um, when it opened, uh, I can't I can't remember the year that it opened. It it was open for a good eighteen months before the ranking came out, um, and it polled really well. Uh, might have finished in the mid thirties. Um, it's now drifted out. Um, on the back of, you know, um, other causes improving, um, judges not being so inanim- uh, seduced by the newness of it and the the, the uh, novelty of it, um, and it's found a position now that's sort of in and around that fifty mark. Um, so, it should yeah, be said, it's still. 
a tremendous value for money in Sydney. It's, one, it's one of the just, best value the golf way, courses. We in played it, didn't we? We played there and fantastic. almost got almost yeah. got mauled by a savage wild oh. dog. That was <laughs> the, hardly a great add to the course. Terrifying. I'm sure it didn't count into your uh, no. rankings of, the, of where it's at. But, but you're right. No, uh, I remember it's a place you, I enjoy. I remember playing. you actually saying that in yeah. your comments that it was one of the best value round yeah, I would golf say, in Sydney, and, and I tend to agree. Yeah. It good fun, wide playing. So there's plenty of places to play. Lots of stuff happening around the greens on the ground. Lots of options for shots around the greens for those who don't have a lot of shots to use around the greens. If I could put it that way, no, it was great fun. Yeah, exactly what a golf course in that location should provide. It's it's all absolutely it's visually impressive as well. It's yeah, and it, and it went through a period too where it hosted a couple of New South Wales Opens. Did you see so the scoring it, at those just it, on a bottle. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. So brother. it walked the line. Walk that fine line of being able to host a host an event and be challenging for the better players, but then you could go out there as a casual golfer and still play the golf course, which probably um, is probably the major influence in it being where it is in the in the list. Mm. We, we've talked a lot about some of those influences that will move a, a course up or down. One of the things that has always attracted me to the Golf Australia magazine list before I, I was on the panel was just that, to me, it's always come across as an opinionated list. And I think that's backed up in a number of different ways. The, the way the actual comments from the judges are included in the publication, it, it, the opinions are right there. They're, they're actually written in there. And the, the size of the panel, I think, and the way you select the, the judges is is optimised for an opinionated list rather than a list that's just a diluted number of, like a large number of popularity votes. Yeah. And, and look, I think the larger the panel, and again, I, I, we're only talking about Australia. I think if you were doing a global, a, a global mm. list, you, you'd need a large. Well, some of the global lists of cut down their panels significantly. I think golf magazines down to 50 people from 150 or something like that. So, so to me, that begs the question, what's the role of the dissenting voice, Beach? There are a core of us that I'm a part of, and unashamedly so, that like a particular sort of golf, width, angles, strategy, Cor Crenshaw, Mike Clayton, Gil Hands, Tom Doak, that sort of golf appeals. And I've got a lot of reasons why I think that's the best, and I'm happy to argue the case. But the, I guess the danger of having a panel is if you pick ev- all people who agree with the sort of golf that you like, are you getting a proper view? Is there a role for the dissenting voice? Are there dissenting Absolutely. voices on the panel? Absolutely. Um, they know in who fact, they that's are. One of the one of the <laughs> one of the the key elements of being able to rotate in and out, or even just completely get rid of mm-hmm. some people. Um, and and in saying that, getting rid of judges means that they probably haven't seen enough golf courses in that period like if they submitted a list of 25 courses that's not going to cut it with us so when I'm looking to um, bring people into the panel I like to um, have a look at for example we've published this list in 2020 and there's been a bit of banter on mm-hmm. on uh, the socials um, I've been in touch with the people that are critical of certain elements and asked them if they'd like to be on the panel next time around Okay, because if you um, if you have all the same voice uh, coming through and the feedback and and how the courses are ranked, they're going in there with with blinkers on and that's all they're going to look for. So your your list isn't going to change all that much. Um, in fact, the only things that will change it it'll 
be, you know, little tiny things and that might only mean a course goes up by one point um, and perhaps not rightly so. So to have other eyes and other opinions in there uh, can only enhance the list. We might get into a discussion about how others do it. I suppose the broad point is there's no perfect way to do these lists. Oh, of course not. Uh, and but I know that you're the whole going, exercise is a bit of a folly, of really, isn't it? <clears throat> you're going to have a frank and open exchange of ideas on one of the upcoming Inside the Ropes episodes. I know you did it last year with Steve Kuyper from Golf Digest, and I think that's coming up again at some point in the not too distant future. Well, yeah, it may be, uh, and getting back to coronavirus, coronavirus. it may, it may, it it not, may happen, not allow us to be in the same room at the same time, but we're hoping to do it. Yeah. It was a fabulous People discussion last year, and that. I think it was really good. another yeah. one this year. Putting that aside, accepting there's no perfect way to do it. The key to me, Logue, if you're going to do a panel, is you, your judges, regardless of their opinion, must be thoughtful mm-hmm. and have reasons why they've selected. I think the addition, you've been a good addition to the panel because all of your comments you read, and whilst you might not agree with them all, you can see how people might have fought, yeah, how you've come to those conclusions. So as a rater, what are the things that you think about? Aside from all the free golf you get to play and the fact that you get to tell people that you're a golf Australian, I'm only kidding. There's no free golf. <laughs> I there is no free golf. I don't think I've got any freebies at all during the last couple of years. What's the rating experience like as a rater? Uh, to me, it's important to express your own taste in, in things. It's important to have some taste. <laughs> so when you're, when you're evaluating no, anything, <laughs> when you're evaluating anything, I think it's, it's important to have an opinion and be able to back that opinion up. Um, otherwise, but, but at the same time, you know, you can come into a situation cold and not know a lot about a course or about the history of it. And it is important, I think, to, to hear other people's opinions and, and let that influence you to a certain extent. But in the end, I, I, I like to look at a thing and try and work it out for myself and, uh, and then compare what I've concluded against what other people have concluded. And it goes back to, for me at least, what initially interested me in in golf course architecture I, I played a lot of golf at newcastle when i was a young bloke and newcastle for me was a bit enlightening um i played i grew up at maitland and there was nothing really architecturally significant at maitland although it's a fun fun place to play golf every now and then at every opportunity we had we'd go and play newcastle and i could tell that there was something different and in the one hole in particular the fifth at newcastle which a lot of people would be familiar with is you, know, you hit up sort of a semi-blind tee shot into a sort of corkscrew fairway down to a beautiful green. And then and the hole is beautiful. No matter what way you look at it, you can get there behind the green and look back up the hill and it's just a beautiful place. That hole for me as like a you know, 14-year-old or something was something I, I remember going home that night and saying to Dad, that's a bloody good hole. <laughs> and, and he goes, well, yeah, actually, that is rec- widely recognised as a really good hole. And... I thought to myself, it, it really locked something in place in my head where I thought, oh, I, I was able to recognise a good thing. <laughs> and I, I think that sort of builds your confidence as you know, having an interest in this stuff and you think to yourself, oh, I, I, maybe I, I can nurture that taste. And, and, and lists like this are a great outlet for that, I think. And it's why I think an opinionated list is more interesting than a popularity contest where it's just uh, it's going to be mainly influenced by mass opinion uh, of, of of things rather than an opinion that comes from within. Mm. Just an interesting side note to that. It strikes me that really good golf stands out even to people who've got no interest in yeah. really good golf. That's the thing that makes golf. So I had a discussion on a 
private message on Twitter last night with a guy who told me he thought Barnboogle Dunes was better than the old course at St Andrews. So I'll be going to Queensland to have that discussion with him at some point and point out why he's wrong. But if you had no interest in golf course architecture, if you were just a golfer who liked to travel and play a bit of golf time to time to see different courses, the old course will stand out from all the rest. Barnboogle Dunes will stand out from all the other ones that you play, whether you know that's why it stands out or not. And that's you'll that, note that fifth something that different. Is yeah. Those those two courses in that hole all have one common thread, and that they're fun to play. Yep, mm. exactly. Mm. And the and the fun isn't isn't made made or broken by the fact that you got a really good line on the fairway. Uh-huh. No, it's been made by the design of the hole, and the shots that you have to, and the shots that you had to play. And in that fifth hole at Newcastle, um, you can have any number of shots, but the key element there is, you know, the ball's probably going to be above your feet for that second shot and being able to get it onto that, that little green yep. without turning over onto the sixth tee. Yep. <laughs> um, being able to play that shot and when you pull it off, it's like, how good's that? Yeah. You know, and then you've got, you know, complete opposite shot on the next hole mm-hmm. where you have to try and fight cutting it off into the Magumbi. An amazing little sequence, the fifth, sixth, yeah. and seventh. Newcastle is a fantastic golf course that people should go on. I think Bob Harrison is going to do some work up there in the not too distant future. Do you always agree with the 100 at the end of it, Beach? Do you read the list and go, yeah, that's about right? Or do you sort of think to yourself, what is wrong with it? Oh, I never, need a new judging panel. Well, as, <laughs> as one of the judges. Yeah. Um, and, and this is the other thing too is that I like to see – more, well, I probably see up to 150 courses over the two-year period. You're almost never home. I, I was going to say, <laughs> the, you must get kind of frustrated that there's courses that need to be looked at that the other you, panelists you end up just having get your panelists it. just not getting there and it, it falls and, and to you. Look, you know, it, <laughs> you it's and a few understandable. And like uh, South two, Australia two weeks ago, I was in South Australia and I, I drove from uh, – I started at Mount Compass um, – which is about uh, an hour out of Adelaide, and drove all the way down Fleurieu Peninsula across to Mount Gambier, and then up through the Coonawarra to Narra Court, and then Narra Court back to Adelaide. So in that stretch, uh, so you got Mount Compass, Lynx Lady Bay, and Narra Court, which just narrowly missed out on getting a spot at now top one hundred. Um, I've I've spoken to different judges over the over the journey who who email me and say, oh, look, I'm going to South Australia. Where should I play? And I always recommend, you know, obviously Lynx Lady Bay and Mount Compass, but Narrow Court as well because it is off the beaten track um, and it's quite the fun golf course. Um, and the guy who – or the, the club gets it in terms of making it fun. Um, and they've obviously spent some time down in the sand belt because they've got um, – Greens cut right to the to the edge of uh, bunkers on okay. on some of the holes where you know like on a short par five one of its greatest defences is the fact that there's a bunker through the back left of this green and the, the greens closely shave right to the edge like you'd find at Metro or anywhere else in the sandbelt. So if you don't get the clubbing right, you're going to be hitting a, a shot out of the sand to a fairly well to a diagonally sitting green. Um, just aspects like that of the design make it a really fun golf course to play, but it's nowhere near got the budget to compete with a course in the top fifty to get it to that level of conditioning. Um, 
And you find a well, lot the of advertising pl- and marketing that goes with it as well is the other thing that it's not a fair playing field in as much as not all courses have equal access to yeah. having a voice in the marketplace. Yeah. So there's a lot of factors that are going to yeah, and and it's important. Again, this gets down to having guys all or people all around the country. Um, you know, say for Western Western Australia, for example. I mean, there are guys who are on our panel here in New South Wales that would never ever perhaps even heard of a place like uh, Capel, which is sort of down towards near Bunbury, um, which is a terrific golf course. Um, again, similar to Narracourt because of its location, it's, you know, it's, it's regional, hasn't got a big budget, but the golf course is a lot of fun to play, but it's never going to reach that level of conditioning, which is kind of why we, we really push the design aspect to our judges. You know, we... we we're trying to unveil the best places to play where it, it doesn't rely on the budget of the maintenance budget to push it up in the rankings. Yeah. We've mentioned Barwon Heads, but that's definitely one of those, although Barwon Heads is always beautifully presented as well. Um, but Newcastle would be another but example. You know, it's where- interesting, like if you I've spoken to people, for example, that have come back from Barnboo or Dunes and They've openly criticised <laughs> being, yep. being a ragtag and yeah. just not in great nick. Yep. I'm like, well, when did you go? Oh, January. Yep. Well, mate, what do you expect? Mm. You know, they're fescue grasses. It's a it's, it's a cold it's a cold climate grass. You want to go in June? Yeah, that's right. You'll the find irony of is that it's a it's a it's a shoulder season and winter. It's at its absolute best and it's yep. got the smallest crowds. It's the time yep. to go. Yeah. What what can courses do? And I think this will depend a little bit on the course, but let's say a Sydney suburban course that's finding it hard to to get into the top 100 because look it is golf in Australia the level at our very best golf is superb it's world class but then I think we've got a big middle tier of reasonably mediocre golf there's some like, there's a lot of it's not bad but there's some blandness to a lot of people familiar with the dope scale I think we've got a lot of dope fours yep. in Australia which are fine dope, wrong with the four's dope not a bad score dope four for your whole life <laughs> exactly and I think we've got a lot of those in the top 100, even like towards the mm-hmm. back end of the top 100 With in particular. Special, nothing but it's actually special. quite difficult for a course to elevate itself to that level, and they could spend millions to try and get themselves in there. But a course that isn't able to spend millions, but you know, is uh, you know, perfectly presentable. Um, what what are some of the sort of things it could do to move itself from just outside of 100 into the somewhere in the 90s or 80s without spending five million dollars? That's the key thing is the spend. Clubs spend too much money trying to make their course harder mm-hmm. where they uh, over-bunker. They think that they've got to put yep. more bunkers in, you know, to make it harder. Um, they're never going to – we'll just give we'll give a course a name. We'll give it course A. So course A decides we're going to make the course harder. Well, what's your reason for making it harder? Well, this you know the scores. Everyone's getting forty points every week, but they're never going to host an event of any great magnitude in terms of professional play. So, why are you making the course harder? Um, so they'll put bunkers in, or mowing the lines. Whole, the, the mowing lines will come in. You know this this uh, theory that you know narrow fairways, lots of bunkers. It doesn't work. And it it takes away from the fun. Um, it slows down play. Um, 
that's one aspect. The other aspect is a lot of courses are over grass, which we already talked about. The other thing is that the, they concentrate, clubs seem to concentrate a lot on um, the playing surfaces and don't look up. Mm-hmm. They need to look up occasionally and see what's going on upstairs. And if you've got trees growing in so that you actually lose half of a tee, yep. like you can't see it up on the right side of the tee because there's an overhanging branch there and it's a dogly right, well, you know, that's a problem. Yep. Uh, course I was at last week, um, so it's probably now getting on to 20 years old. Um, the trees that were there when it first opened are still there and I reckon they haven't cut the overhanging branches on a few of the tees in two decades. So you're now in a situation where half of the tee is immaculate and the other half of the tee is chopped <laughs> up <laughs> and now the ball sits above your feet. These are things that end up costing clubs. Yeah, that's right. Enormous sums of money as well because now they're, you know, we're, We'll just consult all our agronomy degrees in this room, but you know it's it doesn't help for the grass. You need to get sun on the grass. You need to get airflow through the course, and, and, and then chopping up your teas. Is I no don't good. want to pick on this course that I was visiting last week too much, but uh, so there was that aspect with the branches, um, and 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 branches overhanging. So you've got a fairway bunker, and then in front. Or between the bunker and the green, you've got a tree with an overhanging branch, so you penalise twice. Stacked up hazard. Yeah. A stacked hazard. Mm. But the thing for me is being able to see the destination. Mm. Now, this particular golf course, there's a hole there which is a it's a fairly big dogleg right around a, a water hazard, um, yeah. and on the on the <laughs> on the inside. They've let all of the reeds and the undergrowth grow to a point where you no longer can see the hole except for the first maybe 100 or 200 metres up to a fairway bunker. So you're just kind of hitting out to a fairway. There's no risk and reward anymore of going over the corner of the hazard because you can't see the fairway beyond that first 200 metres. So... The the designer's intention to create a risk and reward par five is completely lost, and and you've all you've got now is you you're hitting out you might as well be hitting out into the middle of a soccer field, and then pitching it back down into another soccer field before you actually bring the green into play. It's lost a bit of a, that vista as well. Yeah. I think tree or vegetation management in general is something that. Clubs, even even clubs who may have formally insisted on tree planting programs and having tree lined fairways, seems to be changing. I I feel like that's something that people seem to acknowledge every single time now. It doesn't take a lot of convincing that they should be getting rid of some trees and and controlling vegetation. I the you're, you're right though. I mean, there's an awful lot that can be just done with limbing as well. Yeah. Um, Did you and, just make that word up? Uh, limbing. Yeah. Limbing, I think I'm, I'm, going, I'm going with it. I'm with, I'm with it. it. I like it. Immediate it. sense to me, so it belongs in the dictionary. <laughs> I'm sure you'll find it in our next issue of rankings. <laughs> they, uh, they've been through and limbed the joint. So Fantastic. those aerial corridors getting widened, I think, is an incredibly important thing. But And then also has has 
flow-on effects with the cost of maintaining the course. But I, I think the next level is looking at the ground as well, though, and, and getting rid of some of the grass. Um, I just think that's so important for the, the future of golf in this country. Well, I think it's interesting um, that the, the, the concept of improvement is all around based around making it harder at a lot of clubs. Mm, yeah. And for mine, um, you if you if you make the playing corridors wider, you not only uh, keep play moving because people aren't looking for golf balls um, in, you know, six centimetre, seven to seven metre high rough, you actually create a situation where, okay, you turn your course into a second shot golf course which makes it a whole lot more fun to play. There's delayed penalty in having a wide fairway. You know, If you put it in the wrong position, you're penalised on your and, approach and to the, the next shot. And, and it ultimately, um, I think, would actually lower the cost of maintaining the golf course. Yeah, there's the, the theory about more mowing means more cost, but... Yeah, okay. that, That's where I think but more, if, if less grass is Rough important. tends to be maintained anyway, so you're yeah. not... And the thing is, if you um, if you have a wide fairway and the playing the old ideal playing line that day is to come in from the left side into a right hand pin, okay, um, then if you have a green where you only really have three pin positions, you still can create fun golf by using just three pin positions. Whereas if you've got three pin positions and you've got a narrow fairway, what what questions the hole asking you? It's, it's asking just, it's nil questions. Yeah, you might as well get back down to your soccer field and yep. start hitting it through goalposts. Yep. Just noticing the time, we better start to wrap it up. T- to touch on something you mentioned a minute ago, Logan, to make it into a broader point, how do uh, clubs make their way into the top hundred from outside if they want it? Well, the first thing you would do is look to what are the clubs at the top doing. What are, what are they like? What sorts of courses are getting into the top 10? Which brings us to the question, BJ, of responsibility in media, one of my favourite topics. What's the responsibility of the magazine in the broader golf discussion about what do we want from our golf courses? We've had a couple of decades of, and we still have proponents in the distance debate who say, narrower, longer rough, deeper fairway bunkers, make it more punishing. That's the way that the game needs to move forward to challenge the pros. What's the role of the magazine in terms of responsibility as part of the broader debate? And you've got a lot of competing interests and pressures on you to get that right. Well, I guess publishing the ranking to start with is is part of that mm-hmm. because and, – and particularly publishing it with, with all of the, the comments. comments and opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm a general manager of a club that – you know, and we publish the next twenty-five, the, the courses that have just missed out on the top one hundred. Now, if I'm a GM at one of those clubs, why, why we're so close? What do we need to do to get in? I open it up and I read all the comments for every course in the top twenty, and see what the feedback is on those golf courses. And there, I mean, themes aren't there. There's, there's themes. A, there's a theme. <laughs> it's fun. Good parts okay. or and lack of ultimately, parts. it's fun. The better the course, the less fussy paths they've got. You've had your say, now pipe down. (laughs) (laughs) Towards the back of the list, there's all it's all concrete and gutters and stuff. The key the key element, and and this is just looking at the top ten, none of it's contrived. They're not trying to create anything um, that is too difficult. That you know, they're aiming for, you know, that 
you know, top player. It can be played by anyone and they're, f- they're fun. Um, and oh, interestingly, they're all wide. Yeah, yeah. yeah they've got they, – they allow golf to be played. Yeah. The old course at St Andrews, which a lot of great courses, are, the design of great courses are based on, is wide and playable. Um, if you're going to spend any money, spend it on an architect to tell you what to do. If you're a club and you're looking to spend some money to make some improvements – don't spend it on buying machinery and stuff in-house. Spend or it on an architect. Or something. That's right. Spend it on someone who's studied the field and knows what they're talking about to give you some advice on how you can actually make the golf course and the playing experience better, not the aesthetics that surround it. So I'll give you a quick example. So uh, Mount Compass, which I mentioned before, um, and, and also Marucci River up on the Sunshine uh-huh. Coast, in both circumstances, they've, they've come into it, this latest ranking, uh, the debut appearance. Mount Compass was taken over at new owners a couple of years ago. Immediate investment in the golf course. They called Neil Crafter back in to look at the course after having he, he had designed the original um, and made some tweaks to it, but invested in bringing up the course to a better level of conditioning because it had gone way downhill. Um I think it finished maybe 140th the last time we did the ranking. It's now at 81. Wow. That's a big move. All right. Hmm. And now you won't find them growing rough. The the setup of the golf course, the guy, the course super there is formerly of Royal Adelaide, realises the importance of width in terms of strategy, and that is a very fun golf course to play. Maruchi River, similar. They they were the old Horton Park Golf Club in the centre of Maroochydore. They got Graham Marsh in to design a new golf course. Um, it's set up. There's there's water everywhere, but it hardly comes into play uh, because the, the corridors are quite wide. Um, and yeah, if you hit it pretty wild, you know, if you hit it fifty yards from the centre of the fairway, you might find some water. If you hit it in the water, you deserve to hit it in the water. Exactly. <laughs> if you hit it terrible. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's it's a fun golf course to play. Okay. So that's the key word. It's the F word, people. Fun. That's what makes golf courses and clubs move up in these rankings is that make the golf fun. That doesn't mean make it hard for pros to play. It means make it fun for the rest of us to play. We could talk for hours, BJ. We'd better not. I'm sure we've got the, we've all got days and whatnot to be on. It's been fantastic to have you, mate. Thank you for coming in. You're only across the road. Let's get you in more often just for some of the general good chat. Well, if chat. you keep providing coffee like you've provided today, <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> well, it'll be your hook next time, so it won't be provided in all quite right. the same way that we've got. Thank you, mate. Really enjoyed it. Uh, Adrian, terrific to have you on board. Uh, thanks for your input today. And I must recommend, if you haven't yet got a hold of the January issue of Golf Australia, well, it's on the website. You'll find it, is it on there. the website. Yeah. Go and have a read, and particularly the comments from all the panellists. Some people who are golf nerds will recognise some of the names, but they're just – they're golfers. And there's actually – because obviously you're limited when you do the print, mm-hmm. um, we've added in some extra – On the web on, on the On the web version, there's extra comments in there, but I won't tell you exactly which courses have got the extras. I'll put some links in the show notes so that people can go and find that. Where do they find you on Twitter, BJ, if they want to find you? And where do they find the mag? Uh, at Golf Ost Mag. Um, is probably the best place to find us on Twitter. Um, and I won't be far away. I can't remember what my Twitter handle is. I think is, it's to be at frank. Brendan James too, at, maybe, but I'll put that in the links. Something well. like that. It's something like that. And don't forget at Thing Golf, which is the thing about golf podcasts, which absolutely have really, uh, been really enjoying doing. I hope people have enjoyed listening to it. Uh, that's it for episode 23 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. We'll be back, of course, to do it all again next week here on Good Good.